Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. This week, again, I'm with Dan and Adrian, and we're talking about promise, specifically the power of a promise. And, you know, promise is an interesting conversation, especially as we start to compare it to commitment. And we do a lot of that in this conversation. We also talk about what's possible when we're willing to jump into promises and keep them or at least be accountable to them. Sometimes we break them, but being accountable to that is a way that we can transform the culture of our organization. But before we jump into the conversation, I want to mention once again, change-imperative.com. This is a ebook that Dan wrote on change management for an organization. And it's just brilliant. There's so much powerful information in here about the characters that show up in any time of change in an organization, how to deal with them, how to understand their psyche, uh, and how to ultimately implement the change in your organization that's necessary for growth, profit, and satisfaction. Uh, Go ahead again, change-imperative.com. Go get your free copy and uh, let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. I'm here again with Dan Takini and Adrian Kaler. Gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Good to be here. Uh, I I promise that this is going to be a good conversation. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. Let's see if you mean it or not. Yeah, exactly. I promise. That could get you in some trouble there. (laughs) Good, good. That's what I was hoping. I hope I was hoping that would just strike up the conversation right no. there. We would dive into what a promise is. But yeah, this is I'm excited for this conversation. You know, actually, Dan, I mentioned in our last episode, but I wanted to talk about commitment. And a lot of our conversation around a stand was commitment and all that kind of stuff. And my proposal was we talk about, you know, we titled this thing the power of a commitment. You said, how about a pro- power of pro- the power of promise? And that was intriguing to me. So there's going to be some exploration, some genuine exploration for me in this conversation around what that distinction is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we talk about what, when we compare it to a commitment, what is a promise? What's what's the distinction between a commitment and a promise? Well, I mean, uh, the words are very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have different roots, etymological roots. I think I, we conflate them, though, or maybe it's just me. But I do. I, we do I, conflate them. I do. Great. I have. So think of promise. So both of them come out. They're, they're, there's make some distinctions, right? There, a promise is always about what isn't, right? It's about bringing forth what isn't. So okay. if I said to you, "Let's meet on Tuesday at four o'clock at the movies." There's a reason for that. Or let's meet for lunch at two o'clock on Thursday. There's a reason for that. There's maybe we're, we're meeting to get closer. We're meeting to a, we're, we're meeting to have something happen that hasn't happened yet. Okay. And the promise represents that. So the pro- promise, commitment, request, de- declaration, because a promise is a form of declaration, are all part of what's called imperative. The, the imperative mood in English. There's three moods in English in the language. Why is that important? Because they have different impacts on people. So the, the one of them is the indicative, which is the descriptive mood. And, and I would say, you know, here we are on this, this podcast and it looks like this and Chad's here and Adrian's there and I'm here and we're talking about this. And, you know, and I describe what we're doing, explain it, describe it. Mm-hmm. 
That has a very different impact on a human being than, let's say, the subjunctive mood. Well, if I could fly, this is what I would do. If I could fly between here and the moon, here's what I would see, right? It's, that, it's, it's something where I suppose what it would be like to do something that's highly impossible often or, or that out, it's outside the realm of, or, you know, I'm supposing it, right? Yeah. And then there's the imperative, which is, will you meet? Uh, so, Chad, could you, could you turn the sound up on this? Right. And that what, what do you feel when I say that? When I ask you that? Uh, there's action. I can right. it I, it's clear on if I can do it or not or if it. Yeah. yeah. And do I need to do it? And why did he ask me that? Right. Because it compels action. I could I never forget when I was a young man, they would teach me how to work on the phone as a salesman. And they would say, just try this. Call somebody up and ask them before you start talking. Before I talk to you, could you go get a pencil and paper? You're going to need it. Nine out of ten people will get the pencil and paper even though they don't know you. Hmm. Right? So it's amazing <laughs> you start doing it. Um, but But it's because a request or a, something in the imperative mood will bring forth action. Hmm. Now, if you chunk it down, right, and you look at a promise and a commitment, the words are come from very similar, the same root. Um, they come from Latin, and one of them is promitere, which means that's promise, to send forth in time, right? So a promise is something that you send forth. So if I said, you know, hey, Chad, let's have lunch on Tuesday or Adrian, let's all meet for this podcast on next Wednesday at seven o'clock in the morning. I make a request. It invites you in. And if you say yes, now we have a promise. Right. So what that does is that future now is set aside for you from my and I'm going to now organize my life to get that done. And so will you. Right. Now, that commitment is. Commit today. So promit today, commit today. And that means to send with, right? So if I said to you, and so this thing about a stand is what I send with wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, right? So if I said, hey, let's have this podcast next Wednesday at seven in the morning, I'll be there if I feel like it, right? Would you accept that request? Uh, depends on how I wanted to look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Or you might negotiate it, right? There's, there's a right. You can accept it, you can negotiate yeah. it, you can decline it. But you can hear what I sent with the request. Yeah. The commitment with it. So so promise is what I send forth. Commitment's what I send with it. Now okay. it, and and to get a sense of the power of this. The definition of promise is that it's a declaration made between one person and another or many that that, you know, um, that gives the per and, and it's made in honor, conscience or law. Right. To one person from one person to another made in honor, conscience or law that gives the right to the person who it's who's accepted, who's accepted the promise to ex to expect or claim the performance or the, for, the lack of performance or the forbearance, I won't do it, of an act, right? So it gives me the right. It binds me. It's a, it's a declaration that binds one person to another or to a group of people. And it gives the people that receive it the right to expect or claim it, right? So it sets up. It's a transformational act in itself. It transforms a right I have to myself into a duty I now have to you.
And it gives you the right to expect and claim the performance or forbearance of whatever act I've promised. So we're bound, right? And it actually has neurological effect. They've done, like, if you ask somebody to make a promise, it actually affects them. That's why a lot of people won't make promises. Yeah, we avoid it. Or I I know I've avoided it. Yeah, because I have too. I mean, we all have, I'm sure, because... It, you, you you get to find out where that person is, right? It's a form of crisis even, right? Because at some point in the process of fulfilling that promise, I come up against, gosh, do I want to go do this or am I going to do what I said? Right, because there's a future in it either way, right? Once you make a promise, there is a future that you're bound to, whether you're going to keep it or whether you're going to break it. There's a, that's right. It's, it's so you know there's going to be work involved in keeping it, but there's going to be prices to pay in breaking it right yeah. i mean or like suffering in breaking it yeah and a lot of times i don't know about you but you know i've made promises just to get people off my back yeah right and then they're disappointed and i can't figure out why right but if you think it creates an expectation right a promise creates an expectation in the other party mm-hmm. the minute they accept it and if i don't live up to the promise then there's disappointment, right? Becomes the mood. And then if I don't address the broken promise, that drives the, the, the disappointment and maybe suspicion and lack of trust deeper. Yeah. 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 Adrian, why, in your perspective, why would we talk about the power of promise on the Naked Leadership Podcast? I mean, we're talking to leaders and people who are, you know, leading teams and running businesses, starting businesses, founders. Why? Why is it beneficial or what's what what can we gain from understanding the power of promise as a leader in the business world? Yeah. Well, there's lots of answers to that. I mean, for me anyway, sure. as I've, I'm sitting here thinking about, I'm thinking about what else usually happens in culture. So what else usually happens or even just think about podcasts and none of this is like what's right or what's wrong. It really connects to our worldview about how the world works and how leadership works. So most of advice, most of what we what we call what is media these days are in the other moods, right? The other forms of language, right? They're in the indicative or they're in the subjunctive. You know, they're like, you know, let's talk about possibility, let's talk about, you know, if then like subjunctive stuff or it's in the indicative just describing and a lot of even like the storytelling of our lives. And that can be really, you know, connecting between people, but it might also lack some purpose to it as well. Right. And it definitely can lack some, some edge to it. I mean, I think about whenever, you know, I, I, when I were talking to folks and somebody that's working with me as a coach that hasn't worked with a coach before, they, I usually, I try to get them to get clear about why it's not therapy. And one of the ways I get them to get clear about it is because I don't really care about their story about what got them here. Now, that's usually a kind of a rough combo for a few seconds anyway, because they hear that like I don't care about them. But that points to how the human being relates to the indicative mood. I ought to be able to tell my story about how I got here. I am my story. I am my story. And that's really important. And that you can do that to your own peril if you'd like, because usually my story about my history becomes my future. If I don't get that, I'm the narrator of my own 
arc, my own journey. I'm the narrator. I get to, and I am the writer of the story. So I get to write, rewrite the story whenever I want. So why is this important? All right. So that's a lot of language. Why is it important? Is because you can let, like, I can have my own experience in life because of something, because of something historically, because of something internally, because of something out there, because of some kind of situational, anything external, I can have my life because something outside of myself says it's possible. And that's what most humans do. We don't know we're doing it. We just wake up to the world thinking like that. Or I can make a decision. I can decide something. I can decide to influence something. I can make a declaration. I can write a future. Now, part of why, why, why make a promise? Because oh, you don't want to make promises unless you want to write the future. Hmm. Making a promise is a bad idea if you don't want to be responsible for your future because you've done it already. Like I've made a promise and I'm not, you know, and, well, and can I sure. make the promise? It is the place to stand on in the future now. Like, sure. So if I promise my wife that I'm going to, you know, be somewhere at a certain time or like I, I literally I got in a car wreck once and I was 15 minutes late and she knew so, she felt she knew something was wrong because normally I'm on time and or I've called her. Right. And yep. then then the police called and said he's been in an accident and she was ready for the call. It's funny. She told me I knew something was up because you would either call or you would be here on time. That's right. And so that's so that and then if you don't. Right. So the beauty of promise, Chad, kind of get at that a little bit for me is it declares what I'm about. Now, it doesn't. So it declares what I'm about in the journey. Right. Mm -hmm. with you. Like if I promise we make a set of promises, then we know what to count on from each other and we know how to be with each other. So have you ever had this question? What's what's okay for me to say to so and so? What what's okay to say to my manager? Well, if you've made promises about the future you're committed to having, those promises determine the boundaries of the conversation, of the permission levels. So if what's not working, if it's not working how we're working together, then I actually am have got permission whether I take it or not, that's up to me. Whether this person is willing to receive it or not, that's also going to be part of the dance. But the permission level has been given. Now, whether or not they're going to submit to it, that's another deal. Whether I'm going to submit to it is another deal. Submit meaning I'm willing to take the risk given the promise and what it means for the future. Yeah. Right? Like we need, it helps us see what, it helps us order conversations. Yeah. This future that I promise in very specific terms can look back to this moment and say what's wanted and needed. And that can help me order the conversations that need to occur in order to see that happen. Yeah. Another way. So, uh, you know, so why are we talking about it here is because I think there's power and there's possibility in it. So that's like the, the punchline. There's, there's a lot more that's, that's possible for us and in us and even in our experience and what we can generate out there. If I'm willing to take on a life of promise, like being willing, because mm. when I make a promise, I'm being seen, right? I'm putting my neck on the line. Yeah. Mm. There's lots of reasons why we don't want to do that. Right. And we, we've joked about why, you know, I might do it or might not do it. Um, but you know, 
I, I like that. I, for me, I get vitality. I get by vitality from just deciding something matters. Deciding my word matters generates life for me. You know, and when I'm in a, when I'm, but I always tell all clients on a first call or second call by the, that, hey, living your word is the game here. Living your word. This is what we're experimenting in. You're going to deliver on your word. You're not going to deliver on your word. You're going to want to like minimize things and not get clear, not get honest. We're going to explore how connected you are to your word. And that's a vital because when you hear that, if I'm living as my word and I miss it, I have something to true up to bring me back on course to the future I say matters to me. That's right. Benefit of the promise. Right. It doesn't mean you're never going to break your word. Ah, Of course not. I mean, I I think, yeah. yeah, Keeping a promise is different than living as your word. Yeah. Keeping the promise is included in living as your word, but so is breaking your promise. Sure. Right. So, and the the issue is, I mean, a lot. The the hard part about this is, a lot of people have used promises to shame other people. Right. Like to shame. Like if if I'm a if I'm addicted if I'm if it's power control kind of thing, then I'm going to use my. If you didn't keep your promise, I'm going to use it to shame you. That's why when you bring these kinds of conversations up in any kind of work environment, people are initially going to be reactive. But if they see you can contain the reaction that you, they get that your intention is not about shaming them, but calling up the biggest part of them and, and coming together as a team to bring something forth, then you create an opening for people to be creative and to talk about it because any conversation is worth having if, you know, if it's about bringing the vision into being. Yeah. Right. So it gives us, it gives you boundaries, if you will, naturally about what the conversations ought to be and, and kind of a hierarchy of the, which ones are most important based on what you said you're committed to have happen. Yeah. There's a lot to dance. I think one of the ways to, to frame that is, you know, there's a lot of like uh, pragmatism that comes with living like this. To your point, as you talk about it, Dan, always so eloquently around vision and getting something done that this promises become very pragmatic because they actually show us how to order things and what conversations to have. I also think about where the richness is in this conversation for a lot of people when they think about team, they think about culture, is that promises like is relational infrastructure. I'll say it that way. Infrastructure for the team. And here's what I think about. So when I'm starting a coaching com- a contract with somebody, we always talk about what the agreements are, which is like also code for promise. Like I'm asking them, what can we agree on? We're going to co-make promises together. And I walk them through and they're very elementary. And I always say, hey, these are very elementary. And we walk through them. What does it mean to be on time? And all this like nuts and bolts type stuff. And I say, well, why is it important to talk about agreements from the onset? And they say, you know, what to expect of each other, which is part of it. But I, I, I do want to know what to expect of them. And I want them to know what I'm expecting of them. Because if I'm, if I actually want them to be on time to coaching calls and don't tell them, then all of a sudden I'll be upset later because of something I've been unwilling to express. <laughs> but if I let them know, hey, what works for me is for you to be on time. You'll be on, you, I always, you know, you start the calls on time. I end the calls on time. That's the way this is going to roll. And but, you know, if, if I don't say that to them, I'll resent them for not doing what I haven't been willing to express to them. But if I make the request, be on time for your coaching call, and they say yes, if they're not on time for the coaching call, it's a wonderful conversation to explore because there's something off 
That, well, that's what we know. If if someone's in some kind of breakdown, something is off. I don't know what it is yet. Might be something that some kind of where where they are, what they're doing is off, how they are, what they're doing is off. Something between us is off. Yeah. You know, something's in breakdown. And there's a lot. Promise gives you signals of where somebody is, right? Because yeah. with a promise, always part of a promise always ends in some kind of results. Yeah. So, the, the saying we use is a uh, promise is a cry for help. Like, like something's right. that I might not even be aware of right at the moment. Yeah. But so the, when some, so when it says that a promise gives the right to, gives the, the right to the one who's been made to expect or claim the performance or forbearance of the act, the definition, that's the definition from Noah Webster's 1828. But what that means is, you know, when do you want to make, like, if you're going to claim the performance or forbearance of the act, we tend in our culture to think that's after the broken promise is broken. But after the promise is broken, they may not be able to fulfill it again, right? You have to reestablish it. The time for that to occur is between the time when it's made and when it's happened. So I have a right, if I suspect that something may not be going well, in order to bring forth that future, I've been given a right by the person who gave, made the promise. Like once it's made, we both have the right yeah. to to call that out. Hey, this doesn't look like it's going to work given this future we're yeah. committed to. Right? So it brings order, right? It yeah. orders chaos. It gives well, think, direction. And here's what this, this here's what this creates space for. So there's become a big conversation in our culture about micromanagement. And micromanagement has become this thing that nobody wants to be as a micromanager. And if you don't like what your boss is doing, it's a good idea to call him or her a micromanager because then that gets them off your back because God forbid somebody's a micromanager. But here's the reality is that if you live in a context of promise, to your point, Dan, is a great leader will check in with you around where things are, what trajectory are we on? Are we, you said this last Monday and the promise is going to land. If you think like on a spaceship or something, it's going to land two weeks from now. If I, if I'm the leader and somebody just promised me this, I want to know, are we still on the same trajectory? Not like, so I can got, play gotcha, not to come in and manipulate and control the thing. Cause I'm also connected to this person's promise, you, they they and I are connected, and if they if they're off track, let's just say they are, that I want to know early, not to come in and commandeer, but to come in and be a resource for getting back on track. Because I really do care that we land on you know two Fridays from now, like we said we would last Monday. So and that could be a lot of times people label that like micromanagement. It's actually micro give a shitness. <laughs> it's like, I really <laughs> care about it's what's connected. here. Yeah. But here's the deal, you know, and this point is most people don't engineer the relationship. They don't put the infrastructure in place and the expectations in place. So that type of behavior is labeled micromanagement instead of, Hey, so this is a two week project. It's a really big deal. You care about it. I care about it. I'm going to come check in with you every couple of days. Does that work for you or whatever? You could even make it a request like that. I'm going to come check in with you. I need to hear where things are. Even every day, I need to hear where things are. Most people aren't willing to state it like that. So they end up, they end up, you know, wanting to hear, 
and they're not hearing, and then they're judging the person silently, and they come off passive aggressive later because they've not you know, laid out the infrastructure of the relationship over those two weeks where it's like, hey, here's what you can expect of me. Here's what I can expect of you. And here's where I think it gets even, it gets even more challenging for leaders is that they have a story, and we've talked about this maybe on here before, they have a story that if I was them, this is what I would be doing. And and that and to them, to the leader, there are these what we would call implicit promises, unspoken promises that what a quote unquote good employee would be doing. A good employee would be fill in the blank. And there's all these unspoken and throwed upon expectations, which are like implicit under the table agreement. Instead, and, and they don't get the agreement on the table where it's actually talked about. And like, yes, we're both on board with this. There's just an, a silent expectation. And whoever said it, like the unspoken expectations or preset resentments, that's what comes when we. So an example of that uh, is talking with a, a team member on a team that we coach and, and uh, they're having a hard time and they're stuck. And I say, well, have you asked? Well, whoever their their manager is, they're you know one of the leadership team, and they said, "Oh no, I wouldn't do that." And I go, "How come? Why well, don't want to bother them?" <laughs> so I said, well, "So now you didn't want to you don't want to make the request of them for a certain resource or some assistance, some way of whatever." No, because that's my job, I, and I, I, it's really an interesting dynamic because. That's what may be required in order to get the job done. Like, how do you know lest you make the request? And if it doesn't happen, okay, good. But but it's interesting because what we have a tendency to do is have expectations that if I'm a good employee, I don't ever ask any questions or I just go get it done. Or I, you know, I can't ask anybody else on the team for support because I don't want to burden them. But we're all carrying the vision. Yeah. Right. And so and and one one way of you know, like before I go ask a question, I want to do my homework. You know, that that's a you know, that's a whole nother thing because if I'm gonna do if I'm gonna ask the question, I'm gonna use this person's resource, I've got to give them all the information I I can so that and so this request is specific and I can get the resource I need. But all of that goes out the window with the expectation that I ought not have I ought to do this all on my own. And if I don't, somehow I didn't, I'm not a good employee. I'm not a good team member. Right? There's a there's another angle of this that I see in my coaching work with leaders. And I've actually done this and experienced this myself. And that is making a promise, maybe around a project or something like that. And then purposely going silent to like, see if they show up, like see if they do it. Right. In opposed to what you're talking about, Adrian, of like this checking in, like if you're actually committed to the relationship and the project, you would check in. But they sit back or I'll put it on me. I've sat back and said, well, we'll see. We'll see. Like, And so that even for me shows that I have doubt or there's something that shows me that the promise isn't going to be kept. But I'm going to test them in this, you know, quote unquote, test them. Yeah. To see if they're comparable, or, or if they're, um, if they they have what it takes. If the past is going to happen again, yeah. If I'm going to prove that they didn't, that they made a promise they couldn't keep, or weren't willing to keep, or whatever it is, whatever story I'm making about who they are, I'm using the promise 
yeah. as like a weapon. And to, you've excused yourself from the fulfillment of it. Yes, exactly. It's all up to them. It's, all it's, up like, to uh, them. it's like virtuous absence. Yes. Virtuous absence. That's good. Yeah. I'm, stay, I'm staying at a distance and it's for you. This is a nice little growth opportunity for you. I'm going to stay at a distance. You know, but we know that, but sound, you know, at least if the story's true, it's like I'm actually staying at a distance to test this guy and maybe they're on their last leg and this is my this is the final final nail in the coffin. I'm about to can him, but I don't want to have well, that. Maybe, maybe or maybe I need to prove that I'm better, smarter. Smartest guy in the room. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we it's it's common on teams that the departments get siloed. And the way we get siloed is we think that our job only is only to do what our department is. We don't see how our department fits into the overall. And so, but, but if I'm, let's say I'm a department that's dependent, which I am on other departments, then I, I want to stand for them as much as I can. Yeah. I, like I want to stand for their success because, but if I get into competition with them, because it's a way to signify me, or our department, then because competition can be healthy, but it can also be very unhealthy if it gets, you know, if, if it's not fun, if it's not like there's an underlying understanding that we're in this together and we're right. competing to win, not to beat each other, right? Win together. And that, that's a fine line because a lot of managers will use competition to motivate and then wonder why, no matter, like what you have one guy who's a superstar, one team, and the other team's not doing well. And then the, the whole team doesn't win, but other people stand out. Yeah. Right. And we don't notice that. We think, oh, that's a great team over there because we don't see that maybe there's some sabotage going on. Information isn't being shared, et cetera, et cetera, to maintain my dominance. Yeah. So why also, I think your, your question, Chad, earlier, which was like a, you know, shift for the convo, which is like, why, why is this important to talk about? It, it, this, there's a new one, new answer that's revealed in this for me at this moment, <laughs> like another, another slice, if you will, another aspect to it. Because if we don't generate a culture of promise, then we'll have a culture of, what do I want to call it? You know, of humanity. <laughs> I don't, if we don't have to generate a culture of promise, we're going to inherit, you know, actually a culture of, what normal human being does. I don't want to get too theoretical or too esoteric. We're going, we're going to fight for survival. If you don't decide to, to play ball and like to play the game of work or whatever you want to call it, to have a, you know, to do this with intention, i.e. promise always requires intention, clarity, then people are just going to show up as they show up self-interested Selfish, self-concerned. What's mine? What's yours? How do we survive? How do I not get fired? How do I look good in my own eyes? If we don't decide to live and organize ourselves in some other way, we will do that. And that's a part of like the staying in your lane type combo. Usually, you know, that staying in your lane is because other people were inappropriately out of their other lanes. Mm. And because there's an appropriate way to be out of your lane. I'm thinking, so all this came from one of the complaints I'm hearing a lot as people are dealing with the new, the new context of COVID is they hate meetings even more. 
And a lot of the specific complaints I've heard is I get on this meeting for an hour and I'm there to share for five minutes and it's a waste of my time. And I'm always saying that makes sense to me. If you're only there to share for five minutes, then you've wasted your time. That's great. What else could be going on in the meeting for you? Why else might you want to be or how else could you be there instead of waiting for your turn to share? Yeah, I I don't like meetings because they're not valuable. Right. (laughs) Where are you? Right. Who are the value that the meeting's waiting for? Right. Well, Right. And yeah, well, and this is that's how these ideas least connect for me is, you know, th- this is where if we don't establish promises, we'll just establish typical human avoidance stuff. So if you establish the promise that in the team, hey, when we're why are we in meetings? Like if you haven't had that combo, if you're listening to this and you're a leader, if you haven't had that combo, have the combo. What's expected of us? What do we expect of ourselves in a meeting? Yeah. Are there any ways that I'm expecting as a leader for everybody to show up to the meeting? And how do we want to play ball together? How do we get the most value out of every single minute of the meeting? If you haven't had that conversation, have it this week. Because in that will come out of, first off, they don't want, I mean, their, their resistance will show up right away. And all their judgments of you as the leader that have been having all these bullshit meetings will show up right away. And their, their judgment of other people is going to show up right away. But once you get through all that, you can actually have a conversation about how to fully leverage this thing. And we want people to have eyes on, to your point, Dan, earlier, I think is where this came from, to have eyes on the influence and impact of other lanes um, that I could have or that I, because if I, you know, if I'm listening to your lane, I might have some ideas that could be of big service to you. But if we've got this kind of under the table agreement that I'm going to stay in my lane and that's what a good employee does, I'm, that, that resource, that idea, what I've seen before, that ingenuity might not get to the table because I'm busy being in my lane, i.e. being less of a resource for the company. Now, there's a way to, you know, to share or to contribute or to add, but that would need to be you know, decided upon about how do we engage with each other in a meeting around things that aren't in my lane. Well, it, it reminds me of the meeting we had in, with that one company and gentleman says, well, these meetings aren't valuable for us. I mean, I don't, I don't why are we having these meetings? And within five minutes, you know, we brought up, well, what about this player? Is he on your team? Well, yes, he is. We, we, you know, you know, how's he doing? Well, he's, I, I guess he's doing good. Well, he tells us that, you know, he's reached out to you numerous times, can't get a meeting. Well, he does really well. I don't remember that. He's what's somebody I can count on. I don't need to meet with him. And I said, well, how long do you think that's going to be before he's going to get that the only way to get attention is not to perform well or, you know, become the squeaky wheel. It's like, I have an open door policy, the guy said. <laughs> and so I said, well, the, it's not too open because he's called you a few times. And and what was interesting is that he, the, he came to the meeting saying everything's fine. He had no reason to be in the meeting. But yet there's these outs on his team. And these are the very things that he could resource because, quite frankly, we all are dependent on other departments. And if we have dependencies, it's always good to hear how the other department's doing to see how I can support them so that the dependency that we have gets done, gets handled. How can I support them? What kinds of conversations can I be brought up? Now, the other thing is, well, we can't just do that all in one meeting. No, but you can identify those conversations and they can happen in outside meetings. You can take it offline. That's one of the values of the meetings. You can identify what offline conversations need to occur to further the promise that you have together in, you know, in the organization you can align with. 
But all of that's uncomfortable if you don't want to be bothered. You just want to do what you know you need to do and come in and go home and, you know, kind of do your job and that's it. And not not really get, not accomplish what you said you're going to accomplish. Just go through the motions. And right. Yeah, I think as we wrap this conversation up, start to try to put a period on it. I think one thing that's becoming so apparent for me is that as teams, we often don't have conversations about our promises and how we're showing up in their promises. And that's a great place to start. If you're noticing that promises are being broken or people are avoiding making them, I mean, that's where we start, right? That having the conversation about, wow, we have quite a culture around promise here, don't we? And creating an environment where that can occur, right? Yeah. It's like we can explore it. But if you think about it, if you're not doing that, then you're probably not very productive. Because right. promises are the, if you will, the milestones of bringing forth what you're committed to. So, yeah. Well, I love what, Adrian, I love how you framed it as like the structure of what we're up to. Like yeah. that's how we structure the work is is on our promises. And if it's if they're not being kept or we're avoiding t- making them, there's not a lot of structure. Things become siloed and, and we can't talk about it. Yeah. From a big picture perspective, a lot of times people talk, they love to talk about goals. There's nothing wrong with goals except for how people relate to goals. In my experience, I think usually goal setting can be very ineffective because of what we make up about the goal itself. Most people, when they set a goal, it's actually a, what I call, it would be nice if goal. Mm-hmm. Won't it be nice if this happened? Which is distinct from if you're setting a goal as a promise. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. This is what will occur. And it's not a guarantee, but it's what you're committed to, right? Yeah. This is, there's there's got to be some risk in it. And, That's right. You know, and, and it's interesting. We can probably do another session. Uh, it would be another. Is there's another word in here that's related to promise and commitment. That's forgiveness. And we could talk about that sort of, but forgiveness, like promises to send forth, commitment is to send with, and then forgiveness is to send from, where I consciously decide I'm going to send myself from an offense or from what this person owes me so that I can get back into the conversation about what it's going to take to bring forth the the promise that we made or what's next or what's now. I love it. We're going to do it. Talk about forgiveness. That's great. All right, gentlemen, thanks so much for the conversation. Awesome. Good to be with you guys. Thanks, Chad. Thanks. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.